I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we celebrate our joy and love of film by first starting off with the weekend review, what we've been watching since the last episode in both movies and TV. Move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or main review, and then finish up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, it is all about Disney. We have finally arrived to the Disney episode. Yay! Woohoo! We will be doing, for our main event, an 80th anniversary review of Bambi, as that classic film does celebrate its 80th year this year. And for our film faves, we will be counting down our 12 favorite Disney animated movies with some extra coverage about Disney. More on that later. But first, the Week in Review. Shanna, you had a series that you wanted to share your thoughts about with everyone. What was that? Yeah, so I am still on my mission on Apple TV Continues, trying to get the most out of the service that we're paying for, which we barely touched for a year. So this week, I got into Servant from 2019, an Apple exclusive. Uh, A Philadelphia couple is in mourning after an unspeakable tragedy creates a rift in their marriage and opens the door for a mysterious force to enter. What could happen? Well, This has been a very good show. The first season is pretty solid. It's by M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, they're in the lead there. That's kind of a big selling point for some people. Yeah. And then there's Lauren Ambrose and Toby Kibble. I know Toby Kibble from, I believe, Rock and Roller. Yeah. Wasn't he in Guy Ritchie movies (laughs) at first that you were a fan of? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's uh, Nell Tiger Free, who I don't know very well. She's been in Game of Thrones. Mm. She's Marcella. Mm. Okay. And then we've got obviously Rupert Grint, and it is obviously. <clears throat> well, it's ve- you see the poster and you're like, hey, there's Ron, Ron Weasley. Oh. And because <laughs> you know the red hair, and it's very interesting watching who you know I grew up with as a, a wizard sidekick uh, in a movie franchise then be an adult who has issues mm. and says things and has a short temper and is very gruff. So, you know, in my mind, I'm constantly thinking of the first movie and maybe that's because I'm reading the first Harry Potter book right now. So my mind is there. But it's it's really fun seeing him in a, in a more adult role. Mm. So good for them. Yeah, I like this. I like this show. It's dealing with loss in a very effective way Mm. i started season two i think i'm one episode away from finishing it it's it's totally different and i'm not exactly sure if i like it that much i'm still curious because i want to know what's going to happen but i think first season is definitely solid you know it's interesting because the premise suggests something that would warrant maybe a limited series not necessarily multiple seasons. How 
I mean, does it feel like they're really stretching out the premise or does it actually work when you're actually watching it? it makes sense that there would be multiple seasons. Look, this is a very spoiler-heavy show. Uh-huh. Um, it's not something that I think a lot of people are talking about, so it's not like it's in your face like Boba Fett. Okay. But it is better to go in cold. Uh-huh. Watch the trailer. I don't know. I have to finish season two, and it looks like they've already got season three, so we'll see what happens. Hmm. Okay. So that is Servant on Apple TV+, and it sounds like you at least strongly recommend the first season. I do indeed. Okay. Yeah. Not so sure about the second season. Not sure about that one yet. Gotcha. So and that's everything for your weekend review? Yeah. Did you have anything, or have you just been whittling away? So for me, it's all about the Disneys. I have finished... The, my Disney Through the Years project, hence this episode. As uh, some of you may be familiar, it's something that started a year ago. I had planned on finishing it three or four months ago, but life had other plans for me. And it got really challenging. So I had finished the project in terms of the animated movies. The last post... At the time of recording, I'm in the process of writing the last post. So by the time you're listening to this, it should be available for you to read. I have definitely, by the time recording, already posted about the 2010s. And so I just finished watching Raya and the Last Dragon and Encanto again and reviewing those. And I'm going through and ranking, doing a bunch of variety of rankings of the studio's history of 60 films you know i'll rank the probably the 10 best i'll probably rank the best villains and and so on and so forth several things several elements that we think of when we think of disney movies i will rank in that last post so you can find that at the gibson review.com so that's my week in review And now it's time for our Week in Review. Now, here's the thing. We're recording this episode before the final episode of The Book of Boba Fett lands. And before we've caught up on some movies that's on our list to knock knock out now that I'm done with the Disney movies. However, this posts the week after The Book of Boba Fett ends. So we won't be talking about that until the next episode which will feel like two weeks and for some people it'll be like ancient history because you know you always have to stay on top of the new thing and you can't process things for weeks at a time so but we will talk about it then we'll probably talk about a lot of other things what we're going to do today for our week in review is something that we don't we normally do in a separate bonus episode we normally have every season of um, a preview of what's coming out in the months ahead and i go through and i list what's coming out month by month and we talk about what up to one to three movies we're looking forward to most in each month and that encompasses a 30 minute bonus episode however i looked ahead at the spring season march april may and it really feels like we kind of covered a lot of it in our episode a couple episodes back our 2021 preview so rather than rehashing a lot of it i thought we'd just spend a minute or two here just saying okay march april may 
what one or two movies are we uh, each looking forward to most? So Shanna, I'll have you I'll have you go first. What one or two movies are you looking forward to most in March, April, and May in the spring? I am really looking forward to The Bad Guys based on a book series by Aaron Blaby. Uh, it's directed by Pierre Perifel, and it's got some really great voice actors coming in. So we've got Sam Rockwell as Mr. Wolf, Aquafina as Mr. Tarantula, Anthony Ramos as Mr. Piranha, and Mark Mason as Mr. Snake. Oh, and finally, uh, Craig Robinson as Mr. Shark. So there's about 14 books in this series, and I think I am on book 10 or 11. Mm. So I've I've been... I'm almost fully through the the franchise here. And And are they chapter books or picture books? um, They're not picture books. They're kind of like those like great introductory graphic books for kids Hmm. where it's it's like a comic book, but it's not. It's like just short bursts of text. Sort of like you mean like sort of like the diary of a wimpy kid? Yeah, but less writing. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And it's 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 a very funny series. There's a lot of cool, wacky things that are happening in it. And so when I I think when we got to about book eight, I started to realize, oh no, what are they going to do with the movie? Mm. Because it almost feels like this should be a TV show, mm. and that there would there would be a lot to work with in there. So mm. what is this about? This is about. According to the movie description, it's several reformed yet misunderstood criminal animals attempting to become good with some disastrous results along the way. Um, And if you've read the books, you know that Mr. Wolf goes ahead and recruits different bad guys uh, who I've just mentioned earlier with the voice actors uh, to try and change our perceptions of them being they can actually be good guys. They can actually save things. So. I'm a little concerned with the direction that the movie is going now that I've been exposed to almost the whole the whole series because it looks like in the books there's no people it's just an animal world okay and in the movie it looks like there are people hmm. and that concerns me a little bit but it is uh, the thing that you're looking forward to most. It is what I'm looking forward to cuz I'm very interested in seeing how they take 14 books and have a movie out of it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's one that I'm looking forward to. What's one? And that when do, well, well, when is that releasing? So people know. It's releasing in April, so probably around spring break or just after. So April twenty second, to be specific. Mm-hmm. And that was one that you mentioned as one of the movies you're looking forward to most this year. So no surprise that it's a movie you're looking forward to most in spring. Was there anything else that you're looking forward to most, or was it pretty much just that one? Uh, secondly, I'm looking forward to Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Mm. I like Doctor Strange as a character. Mm. I think he's interesting and, uh, you know, it's always fun to see someone who's arrogant get a little humble. Mm. So I'm, I'm very curious. I'm also very excited to see, obviously, Elizabeth Olsen come back as Wanda. Mm. You know, we see that in the trailer and everything else. So it, it should be. I'm hoping it's amazing and I hope it all makes sense. Mm. And, you know, a big thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, well, what is it going to open us up to next? Yeah. Yeah. And that is opening on when? Oh, looks like it's the week before Mother's Day. So 6th of May. 6th of May. So uh, I will overlap there. You know, this is something that we both talked about in our 
year preview and it is the one i'm looking forward to most there's everything else is second to this film so i'm right there with you may 6th doctor strange in the multiverse of madness i'm curious if it will tie into how the loki series limited series ended i'm a little disappointed disappointed and surprised that spider-man no way home tied into or did not tie into loki in terms of how its multiverse came about. So I'm kind of curious how this movie plays out in the grand scheme of things. The only other movie that I can say truly I'm, I'm somewhat looking forward to at all in the spring is March Force the Batman. Mm. And, you know, even then, I would say that my excitement level on this Batman is probably about half of the excitement level I had for Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins. Mm. At that time, you know, I was very curious and very excited about seeing Batman reimagined and it seemed much truer to the character than what had been established before. This time it's like literally going to be the third Batman in 10 years. So maybe there's that diminishes the excitement level, but it's more of a curiosity. I'm more curious about this than any other. I want to see the the Riddler reimagined. It sounds like this is the darkest Riddler you'll have ever conceived of as he's partially inspired by the Zodiac killer, a very different version of the Riddler than I'm. Wow. That's, that's very different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to that as well, but I'm also very cautious because when Batman gets rebooted too soon, I just I think it's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. So, but I am I am loving the cast so far. Right. Speaking of the cast, I should note it is Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Paul Dano as Riddler, Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon. And Colin Farrell as the Penguin, Andy Serkis as Uncle as Alfred, with also appearances by John Turturro, Peter Sarsgaard, and Barry Keegan. So, yeah, that, I think that'll be the first movie of any degree of excitement that we review this year. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. Probably no surprise to anyone who's listened to a couple episodes of this podcast. The comic book movies are the ones I'm looking forward to most. We did meet at Comic-Con. <laughs> it's kind of a no-brainer. So that is our truncated version of the screen movie preview. If you have anything you're looking forward to, you want to pitch in and uh, give a shout-out to, feel free to email us at thegibsonreviewed at gmail.com. And that concludes our week in review and allows us to move on to our 80th anniversary review of Bambi. Walt Disney, the world's greatest storyteller, brings the world's greatest love story to the screen. Bambi, the story that proves that love can be loaded with laughs. Well, what's the matter with that? They're twitterpated. Twitterpated? Yes. Nearly everybody gets twitterpated in the springtime. It's not going to happen to me. Me neither. It can happen to anybody. For example, you're walking along, minding your own business, when all of a sudden, you run smack into a pretty face. You begin to get weak in the knees. Your head's in a whirl. And then you feel light 
soft as a feather. And then you know what? You're knocked for a loop. And you completely lose your head. Bambi, the story of a deer who learned that love means many things to many people. To his parents, it means courage and sacrifice. It is man. We must go deep into the forest. Hurry. To Bambi's mate, Deline, love is at once a tender and a terrifying thing. Quick, Deline, jump! To Bambi himself, love comes to mean heroism and fearlessness. Surging out of the roaring forest is the most powerful, gripping, romantic story ever brought to the screen by Walt Disney. And that was from, I believe, the 1942 trailer of Bambi. Trailers were quite different back then. So... In case anybody's not familiar, first of all, Bambi is actually based on a novel that was published a few years before the movie was created. It was a 1923 book by Felix Salton by the name of Bambi, A Life in the Woods. It was an Austrian author. And it's basically about uh, a whole year of a white-tailed deer growing up and dealing with love and loss essentially and it's a in in a lot of ways a celebration of the natural world so shanna we in our last episode did a anniversary review of titanic and i kind of want to do for bambi what we did for titanic in the sense that i want to first talk about your history with the movie bambi and what you remembered about it before your recent viewing, and then move on to your recent viewing, what surprised you about it, and so on and so forth. So share with us, Shanna, your history of Bambi and your impression of it and memory of it. Yeah, so I think I got exposed to Bambi, obviously with one of the re-releases. It must have, maybe I was... Five, which I think maybe I was too young to watch that film knowing who I am now mm. to me at that age I was like oh that's the sad movie that's the sad movie with the cute reindeer mm. and deer aren't a huge thing in South Africa so there wasn't this sort of connection to the animal whereas you know something like the Lion King we have lion parks we have game reserves we have conservationists so you know if there was something about a lion, it definitely was easy to sort of relate to mm. because I had seen that animal. But deer was kind of like a foreign thing right. to what, me. What's the closest thing in South Africa it's, to a white-tailed deer? Look, I might be wrong because I didn't I didn't study, what would that be, zoology? But springboks are definitely the closest thing, but they're very different looking. Mm. So... That's yeah. what I've got there. I will say, you, Bambi, there's moments where Bambi moves like a springbok, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And so that would be the closest thing to relate it to. It, it always just felt like the sad movie that I don't want to watch when mm. I was younger. 
Uh, so that was my impression of it back then. However, I did re- always recall the weather song when the rain was happening. So uh, April showers. Little April showers, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. When, what age did you get first exposed to this film? I'm not sure that I could really nail down a particular age. I was looking at the United States re-releases of this, and in my lifetime, it was re-released in theaters in 1982 and 1988. And then it hit video for the first time in 1989 and in the UK in 94. So it's possible that it got released in video uh, on that UK release for you in that same, in that 1994 era. So it's it's possible we went to the theater to see it in 1988. It's very possible it wasn't until it first came on VHS. Uh, but it's also possible I saw it on Disney Channel, which certainly, like, that was way, you know, that was something that debuted way before it, its video release. So I, I, I couldn't mm, say. Okay. But it was definitely... You had many options. Yeah, and it was definitely something that I'd say. Now, I have this faint impression slash memory that maybe my mom thought it was the same thing that you did that sad movie and maybe she didn't push that one as much and it wasn't really till like i was an adult that i revisited it in my early 20s or late teens or whatever and was like wow actually this movie's really great or what have you but so i'm very fuzzy on my history of it Yeah, and then we mentioned it to my mom and dad this morning, and my mom was super curious because she had seen it in the theaters when she was a child, and I thought that that was interesting. Yeah, it is doubly interesting because, in the States anyway, I can't speak Mm -hmm. for worldwide, but in the States, they had re-release in 1947, 57, and 66, and then 75. So if she saw it as a child and she's was, she was born in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. So. It was probably that 1966 release. Possibly even a year later because South Africa had restrictions on media materials, etc. Mm. And I just I thought it was so interesting because it made me really appreciate the fact that we have everything at our fingertips, but it also makes me wonder what it's going to be like you know for children now that they have everything at their fingertips like how are they going to get exposed to things and i find it very interesting it's not going to always necessarily be a theater experience yeah well yeah i mean now that disney plus exists uh, there is no reason for Disney to re-release its classics in the theaters anymore it's very interesting how it's evolved because my mom didn't even grow up with the VHS, whereas I did. Mm. Like, that was an option for me. Yeah. And we didn't have the Disney Channel until I was 21 or 22. Oh. So. Wow. That's yeah. in the late 2000s. That's and, crazy. And it was great when it finally did come. We knew that the rest of the world, like other countries, had the Disney Channel because they would still sell VHS Disney Channel combos to South Africa. Huh. And we were just like, oh, man, we really wish that we had this. And so when it eventually did happen, the first film that they showed to premiere the channel was Lady and the Tramp. And then I think the next month was possibly Bambi. So it's interesting. That is that is very interesting. And I will retract. I will backpedal a little bit because 
it's not just that Disney Plus exists that kind of makes it so Disney had no reason to re-release movies. I think once the video market really took off, mm-hmm. you know, after the 80s, they really didn't re-release movie, you know, their classic movies. I was just looking up here to see, because I thought that was an interesting note you said, what movie debuted the channel mm-hmm. for you. And mm-hmm. I was, I was kind of curious... If I could find out what movie debuted on the actual original debut way back in 1983. And I'm not finding it qu- uh, fast enough, but um, I did think that that would be kind of cool. Because it is interesting that... I think it's interesting what yeah. they choose to premiere the channel with. Yeah. Yeah. I know I've heard it before, but I'm just not seeing it fast enough here. So anyway... So you expected basically this movie to be sad, just like Titanic. <laughs> Watching it now, and I don't, I don't know if you've watched it much as an adult, but I, th- I think the only time that I, I never like exposed myself to it by myself. Mm-hmm. But you know, when we, when we got married, I think we've seen it a total of three times since we got married. Oh wow! Okay, I'm surprised it's that many. It's, it's spread out, but you know, in the last year with your, your Disney program, we've seen it twice. So I, I guess I'll interject really quickly before we move on. It is worth noting that this film received three Academy Award nominations for Best Sound, Best Song. Uh, we'll talk about whether or not this should have been it. Love is a Song, sung by Donald Novice, and Best Score. So it got those. And it was considered by the AFI as one of the best films but I don't think it made a list, and it wasn't until 2011 when it was added to the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. It, it's also been influential in, in many other ways. So watching it now, Shannon, the fifth ever Disney animated film, mm. what were some things that struck you that you didn't remember about it? The music is very strong in this movie. It it really manipulates the emotions or pushes the story forward, however you want to look at it. Mm. But to me, it's it's almost what do you call it? Whiplashy at times. Really? Well, we all know the mother dies. When it goes from the mother dying to spring, mm-hmm. well, it's more like after the father finds Bambi and says your mother can't be with you anymore, and then it goes to spring. It's very jarring. Because it's this very really? sad, sullen music, and then all of a sudden, it's like birds twer, you know, twittering, and it transitions to the to uh, the next season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think transition's not the right word because transition, <laughs> you know, suggests there's a bit of a a soft movement from one to the other. Okay, maybe it does like it does have a hard cut, I suppose you could yeah. say. From, it's a hard cut. From that from one scene to another. And it's it's hard when you're 5. I mean, here's the thing that holds up. We all know that we're the bad guy in Bambi's world. Man is the bad guy. And man needs food to survive. Uh-huh. Uh, even though I couldn't relate to deer being shot, I could relate to Springbok being shot and Springbok are delicious, you know, I could relate to that. Mm. So it's, you kind of feel bad that you're kind of wrecking a family, you know, there's a possibility of this. Okay. So what else um, surprised you about it? Definitely the color symbolism. 
I love color symbolism and the in the purpose of color in driving a story forward. Mm. And color is very significant in Bambi, and I'm sure someone's written about it somewhere. But not only are we using color to help, you know, show that a year has passed via the seasons, but there are certain times where, where if something very calm is happening, it's a very neutral or very not overly stimulating, but not necessarily pastel color choice that's that's around us. Mm. Uh, but when something pretty intense is happening, the colors get very sharp, very saturated. Mm. So two examples of that would be when the deer are in the meadow and they have to get away because man has come. Mm-hmm. And as the deer are running away, what's happening, I think Bambi is in the background or Bambi's mother is in the background and she's in normal color. And the deer that are going past are in a variety of UV lights, like light spectrum colors. Mm-hmm. So it's going from sort of dark violet to purple to green to red to yellow to to blue it's and green did i say green yes i did Uh, so it's very it's a very interesting choice and then the second time you see something like that is when bambi is dueling with another deer Mm -hmm. for feline Mm -hmm. and it's not only is the lighting choice to be back rim lit but the there's also a glow and then there's these strong blue and green colors and yellow and green. And it's there's I remember red, red being in there, yeah. Definitely there's red and the use of purple in this in this movie is also very interesting. You don't usually see purple that often because it is a very strong color. Hmm. But they use it very well in here, and that definitely helps move the story across, whether it's been realistically used to mm. represent the seasons with trees or snow or, or whatever, to something more visceral. Almost similar to that, I would think, is Elephants on Parade. They got a little playful with that in Dumbo. But it's yeah. executed a lot better in this, I think. That's a little more abstract, right? And a little more dreamlike. As opposed to what was happening here. But also playful, like mm. purposeful play with yeah. the color. Yeah, here it's dramatic, right? And, and a little is, bold. Yeah, yeah. So all of that works uh, for you. And that's something that you didn't remember. It is something I didn't remember, but maybe subconsciously I had absorbed that and it was just too much intensity for me mm. because it does make the movie more intense. You know, Mm. if you just had all the deer running away in normal coloring, Mm. it was like, okay, they're all running away. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, It's a little scary, but when you change the colors the way that they did, it's very frightening, actually. I think the score also in some of those sequences adds a lot, adds another layer to what you're talking about. The score, Mm -hmm. by the way, is, is by Frank Churchill. It's very good. Was there anything else you wanted to give a shout out to in this regard? I was also surprised by the forest scapes. I, you know, we see this movie somewhat being made in The Reluctant Dragon when a character goes behind the scenes at Disney Studios and they're seeing this multi-level transparency camera setup. Mm. So they're they're trying to create dimension. Mm. And we watched this on DVD 
when you started your Disney journey. Mm -hmm. And then you went ahead and ordered the Blu-ray. So it was the first time we were watching the Blu-ray and it was significantly different. Mm. Um, You noticed right away. Yeah, I was like, oh, that is much sharper Mm. and much prettier. When we watched the DVD, it looked like the colors were a little more muted. Whereas here, it's obviously been brought to its its glory. Plus, it's worth noting, we watched the trailer, which is not in HD. And it, you could see even like how, how it was originally presented. It's even more, not degraded, but even more muted. Mm, I think muted is definitely, like, muted by time, mm-hmm. over time. And... Uh, just the the scapes, you know, you've got the water is so important in this film. And you see the water of the dew drops in the morning and then you see the rain and just the way that the water is falling off the leaves and the way that lightning is being struck during the rainstorm. Mm-hmm. You see leaf veins. Mm. So there's a lot of attention to what it would be like in the forest, you know, yeah. that we don't, a lot of us don't necessarily get to be in during different seasons, never mind different weather patterns. So that was, that was very interesting. There's a lot of hard work was done there Yeah, that I didn't realize before. And, you know, lastly, I, I, I knew there were a lot of animal characters, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize how family orientated each animal group was mm. there's so many children babies in this in this film and it's just so sweet to see them in their little family groupings like the quail the way the, the <laughs> mom moves if she's gonna you know sort of move like a slithering snake the children all follow in terms of her path yeah not that, in her path yeah. yeah and the the bunnies are obviously great and that's totally relatable moments where thumper is like talking about how sweet clover is don't eat the green stuff and the mother's like what did your father tell you and it's not the only time she's asked him that and it's it's very funny how they use these they obviously had animals in the studio to draw from yeah and it's just it's it's what disney does best they look at an animal or something and they give it more personality also, all the animals, animal children teaching Bambi about life was really sweet because even though they're smaller than him, they're older than him. And so they're trying to to teach him, you know, from words to what to eat. Yeah, I want to speak to that point you made about them having observed animals. And apparently the animators did visit the Los Angeles Zoo and set up a small zoo at the studio with animals such as rabbits, ducks, owls, and skunks, and a pair of fawns, so that the artists could see firsthand the movement of these animals. They also had a painter of animals by the name of Rico Lebrun come and lecture the animators on the structure and movement. And so all of that, you know, and, and his dis- the sketches of of realistic animals were all helpful for what you end up seeing on screen. It definitely shows that, you know, an example of what didn't go well is Chicken Little. Like the the movement and other reasons uh, didn't quite work. But if you look at something like Bambi or Lady and the Tramp or Mm -hmm. uh, if you go to Pixar and look at Up and you see them behind the scenes working on 
uh, observing and live sketching yeah. um, all the different details they're going to need in the film, you, it shines through. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this movie is one of the ones that establishes this long history of animators going on excursions in some way or or doing something to experience firsthand the subject matter of their project. And that's definitely the case in some of those examples that you cited as well. I remember in Up for Pixar, which of course is heavily influenced by Disney Animation Studios, they they went and traveled to South America, I believe. And, and what they see is actually depicted in that film. Yeah, it's a great behind-the-scenes documentary, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So... For myself, I think, like, uh, I'll speak to the last time I watched it, because I watched this a year ago for the first time in quite some time. So that way, as as part of this project, right? And I reviewed it a year ago in the Disney Through the Years series when I did the 40s. And I think one of the things that I forgot was, A, first of all, Bammy's mom's death. This is the thing that the movie is identified. It's the big identifier of this film, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody always thinks first when I think of this film about Bambi's mom's death. And I forget that that takes place at the halfway mark of the film. There's a whole It feels like it happened so much sooner. See, I thought I I always thought it happened later in the film. Hmm. So there's a whole lot of film after that, okay? Because this movie takes place over the course of a year. And that event occurs in the winter. And we still have spring. And Bambi's born in spring, right? And there's, there's a series of events that happens in spring. Uh, the, the, the movie is very much about lo- loss and love. So that's the first thing that I I forget about. Second of all, I forget how incredibly well animated the animals are. Particularly in the first act. The first act is so incredibly adorable Mm -hmm. and endearing. No pun intended. Every animal in this film, I mean, from like little tiny rodents... Yeah. To a, a, a duck or the... already pissed off duck. Quail. Yes. <laughs> yes. The duck that gets splashed on water and, you know, he was just trying out the water and he gets splashed and he just... <laughs> He totally gives this scolding look. <laughs> and, and I love how the water moves on yeah. the duck. It moves from inside his feathers down his nose. Yeah, it's, down his bill. Everything is really, really cool. Yeah. So there's a, a, a slew, as you intimated, a slew of ancillary characters. And every single one of them is adorable, yet also... Most importantly, they seem to have gotten really well with their hands, mind you, how these animals move. Yeah. Each of these animals, none of them move the same way, right? These types of animals. And they got all the different ways these animals move very well. And I think that that's stuff that people forget about. I think also the music is something that is easy to forget. This is not, to be clear, this is not one of Disney's animated musicals. 
So when we're talking about the music, we're talking about score. We're talking about, I believe it's the term is non-diegetic mm-hmm. music. I get diegetic and non-diegetic uh, kind of mixed up. So I'm hoping I'm using it correctly. Non-diegetic where there is a choir in the background or what have you. The characters are not expressing song, uh, their feelings through song. It is not within the context of the film. But the music, the score, it's so expressive. So, like, from using a snare drum to express Bambi on ice uh, sliding down on his butt or on his chin on ice to using an oboe to express a a drop of rain hitting a leaf and then um, a second note expressing another leaf being hit, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think. Those are excellent touches. I totally understand in the context of 1942, although I don't know what else was out there. I totally understand why this would have been nominated for among the best scores of its year. Mm -hmm. Because there are definitely some excellent elements. Shall we talk about Twitter painting? Because there's another subject I think. Mm -hmm. I think Twitter painting and another subject are two things that we need to tackle Okay, review. we'll see if that, that other subject is what I was going to say. Yeah, let's tackle Twitter painting. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So Twitter painting is is basically what the second half of the film is about, right? Which Owl explains. Is annoyed to, by. <laughs> yeah, he's very much annoyed by. He's annoyed by the birds uh. and everything. But he, 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 <laughs> he explains to the now uh, teen or young adult Main characters. The trio of Flower, the Skunk, Thumper, the Bunny, and Bambi. Very good. What Twitter painting is. And it's <laughs> so amusing how he does it. And it's it's like this 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 force that's going to get you. It's going to get you. <laughs> There's you, nothing you can do about exactly, it. Exactly, <laughs> right? And it all, he almost explains it in a way that's like, oh my God, I don't want that to happen to me. Yeah. You know? And then... It's almost like, in a way, a horror movie, how one after another drops off, right? Like a slasher film, you know? It's very funny, because we had been exposed to Feline before. Yeah. Um, We had not been exposed to, you know, who Flower and Thumper end up with later. No, yeah. And as they go walking in a line, Flower is first. He's at the back of the line, and he falls in love with someone and he looks back at the guys and he's just like <laughs> with his hands up he's like i'm just gonna go with this right now yeah <laughs> you yeah know? what can i say and, yeah the same happens to thumper and then bambi runs into feline later right exactly so exactly. you're right it, it's like a happy horror film yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know they just uh, one after another um and then it, it sticks with bambi the rest of the time the the other big element of the film is man yeah, so amongst all these natural issues that they have, they have the man issues. And if man just stayed out of it, they wouldn't have had the forest fire because that came from man's camp. And In the climax, yeah. it, it spread from a campfire. Yes. Which basically seemed to have destroyed basically the whole forest of what seemed to be their established world. Mm. What I think is is interesting or or a very effective is first of all like the movie does not labor this point of man at all in the fall I think it is during the first third of the film 
there is a an, an interaction in the meadow where the score shifts and it turns out there's something in, out there that's a threat to to all the animals. There's this big sequence that I'll talk about. We can talk about in, in detail in a second here. But Bambi asks, when it's all over, what was that? And simply, Bambi's mom says, man was in the forest. Or something like that. A very simple line. Yeah. And then it just moves on. And I loved how it was just like a five-word sentence that explained everything. Mm. And it just sat with that. It, it didn't lecture. It didn't expound. It said nothing more. That was all that was needed to be known. I, I just always really appreciated that. Well, and also with his father later, Bambi's with Feline. It's like their first night together. And in the morning, you can see there's something bothering him. And he walks to the edge of the forest to get a view. And he sees fire. He being Bambi. 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 And then Bambi's father comes and says, it is man. They're like, they've come to the forest again. Yeah, they're spreading and stuff. Yeah. I also really appreciate, again, going back to the score, how the score shifts in the two or three sequences related to man. Mm. And, and and the way it does it, the deer you don't the deer don't see anything, right? They sense something's not right. Yeah. And the music really kind of adds to that feeling. It's it's a it's a it's oh something's not right. Something's not right in the forest. Something's not right in the meadow. It adds to this idea of they could sense something. Mm. And I, I loved how that piece works uh, every time. Mm-hmm. And it's not like dun, dun, dun or anything. No, it's, it's just almost this, like it gets quieter. Yeah. Like whatever was happening before, like slowly goes away. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this kind of like uh, chill down your spine sort of piece. And uh, I really appreciate appreciate that maybe that's why the music is so so at the forefront for the rest of the film so that when the music does go away it's kind of like what's happening now so Mm. that's interesting i I just also have to say the first time there's man interacting i don't know what the hell the man came to to hunt for because if you actually watch he's shooting everything all over the place yeah like did he come with his child and he's training his child or something because i get it you need to eat but why a chipmunk well it's just like all kinds of things it's not like a particular thing they're they're going after yeah you know they're not going after a quail or a deer right right okay rabbit is fine too i guess but right but they're just shooting out whatever they can get right everything (laughs) it's just (laughs) it struck me as a slightly amusing this time. You know what I thought, what it made me think of now at this time of my life was the the Remnant. The Revenant? Oh, the Revenant, the, yeah. Yeah, like they're getting pelts and stuff. I was like, is that what's going on here? Is that the timeline we're in, you know, that that time? 
which is entirely possible. So I was like, Jesus, guys, you don't need the chipmunk. <laughs> Who knows? The one nice thing about this film is it's not. It is a timeless film. It does not get specific about mm-hmm. you. Have you, it could be in the eighteen hundreds. It could be in the early nineteen hundreds. It could be rural anywhere. It could be right now. You know. Yeah, yeah. Because so. basically, it looks like when Bambi goes and see when he's adult and he goes and sees the cabin. It's a cabin that's lit up, and it could just be a cabin for hunting yeah. season. Right. Yeah. One last thing I thought was really effective, and again, goes back to the score the score running. There is a moment with a quail who panics. Yes. Such right? a good scene. And I think what's effective about that, you pointed out to me what's effective about that. Do you want to share? So it's a quail with two other quails and they're each hunkering down to try and hide from man. And she starts panicking and she she says she can't stand it any longer. Mm-hmm. She wants to fly away, but basically it's too late. They waited too long to fly away. I, I don't know if there was a good time really for them to fly. The others are trying to urge her to yes, stay down. They're, they're trying to calm her down. Like one is saying, stay down. One is saying, you need to calm down. Yeah. And she can't stand it anymore. And that's when she flies away and gets shot. Yeah. Um, and then we see her body. Yeah. And so I think that depiction of of panic and fear yes so relatable it's it i think that adds a potency to that sequence Mm -hmm. and it's nice that it was someone it's a character we don't know like it's not thumper saying yeah right it's It's, just a it's just another character right yeah which is good and also i think in terms of bambi's mom's death what's potent Mm. about that isn't that simply bambi's mom dies because, you know, you could make an argument that there isn't a whole lot of characterization to Bambi's mom uh, to, to give us a lot of emotion towards or feeling towards that character. What's really potent about it is when Bambi gets to the thicket, which is their safe space, um, he says, we made it, mom. And you know what Bambi doesn't, which is that she did not make it. And with yeah. that line, I think that's mother. the emotional gut punch. Yeah, you know? we made it, mother. Yes, exactly. It's and and it's not even that he's looking through the forest calling her out or anything. I think that just kind of adds maybe a, a little bit of an extra twinge or a sting, but mostly it's that line of "We made it, mother," and you know the opposite is true. For me, it's him wandering around the forest quietly to try and find her because he's still not certain. Mm. And it's when his father comes and he gets a fright because he sees his father all of a sudden there. And he says to him, your mother can no longer be with you. And he just sheds two or three tears. Yeah. And he's like, come, we have to go. And he kind of shuts down that emotion. And to me, that's very, like, heart-wrenching because it's like, oh, my gosh, like, he doesn't get to like work through the emotions this is so terrible like he has to keep it all in Mm. but that is a very effective scene and what a good son for his mother says don't stop running yeah and he listens and he survived because he listened to his mother but yeah and also again about one other thing about the deaths in this i think is very interesting is the movie doesn't shy away from death first of all which i think is very important yeah and and very good but the way it does it is it never shows you a death. It shows you, at most, 
the immediate effect of the death, which is, or, you know, the killing, I should say, which is like in the case of the pheasant in particular. I thought it was a quail. Sorry. The, uh, I'm not sure. You might be right, actually. Uh, I think the quail has a little thing over its head. Uh, pheasant is bigger. Okay. So in the case of the pheasant, it cuts away once she flies into the air. You hear a gunshot, and then it cuts to her body falling to the, the ground. And I thought that was really interesting, and I kind of commend the film for not shying away from it. I think that there is a tendency, I, I, granted these are different eras, but I think there's a tendency now to try to shelter kids from death. And this movie is all about, like, this is nature, this is real, this is what happens. Yeah, and even though there's no animal predators yeah in this forest yeah that's true yeah like there's no bear coming after right. something yeah yeah or no, s- no foxes wolves, whatever yeah it's important that we take ownership like okay i know that there are cultures in south africa and i'm, I'm sure it's the case here too where if if you're going to take a springbok's life you thank it for providing food for you uh-huh, you know so yes. there's a respect there so it can be a respectful discussion yes it's absolutely frightening with the pheasant but at the end of the day man does have to eat yeah so all right so we should wrap up uh tell me your final thoughts now that you rewatched bambi did it reinforce your impressions on the film um is it better or worse than you thought and what do you score it i think you know i always think about it in regards to well, can a child watch this? Can our children watch this? And I think it's an important film for them to watch because it can be a discussion. It can be a healthy discussion about death, and it's it's one away from human death. So I feel like, hey, this is let's talk about death. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's step one. I think this is a great film. It's definitely changed my interpretation of it. Mm. over the years and i would probably score it an eight yeah i i think like obviously this film was intended to be seen by kids right so i would honor and respect that i, I think it's beautiful and it's and 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 it balances everything out it's about loss and love okay and with it also life yeah Right? Yeah, that's how the movie ends, right? Right. So um, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with with showing that to kids whatsoever. And I think it's a beautiful film. I think it's incredibly lovely and endearing in the, in the first third, especially. It's just so adorable and beautiful. And it's just, I think it's absolutely underrated and o- overlooked by today's society. Mm-hmm. I think that the movie should be measured by much more than a a two-minute sequence in a 70-minute film Mm -hmm. that takes place in the middle of the movie. So uh, I I definitely recommend it, and I I give it a 9 out of 10. That's great. So that's our review, our anniversary review of Bambi. You can find it on Disney+. And see it for yourself if you haven't already or if you haven't for a very long time. Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com your thoughts on the film. You know, speaking of anniversaries, Jeff, you have an anniversary. Your blog has been around for like 12 years. That's true. At the time of recording, it is, what, two days before recording? 
uh, experienced its 12th anniversary. I started yeah. this in the Gibson Review blog in 2010, officially. Thank you. Yes. Um, Congratulations, honey. I appreciate You've it. You've kept it consistent, and it's gone through a web design change, and mm -hmm. it's very fancy right now. Thank you. And... In a month and a half's time or so, we'll be experiencing our fifth year of the movie lovers, too. So how about that? And then I think in two months' time, we're experiencing our anniversary of meeting. Ha-ha! What a love-filled <laughs> first quarter of the year. <laughs> awesome. We should move on to the next segment, Film Faves. Film phase is the part of the program where we count down our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. The idea is twofold. One, give you an impression of our tastes in film, but also hopefully expose you to titles and films you have not seen or maybe you've even just heard of. To that end, we typically let you know when a movie is available to stream on a subscription streaming service. In this case, our topic is Disney animated movies, and all of our picks are available on Disney+. Plus. So all you have to do is go to the search tab on Disney+, Plus, and there's a, like a bunch of little menus in that tab, and you go to the Animation Studios collection, and you will find all of these films somewhere in that collection on disney plus okay so this subject uh, because i have finished finally the disney through the years project where i went using disney plus and our own personal video collection through the entire history of disney animated movies reviewing and ranking decade by decade i finally finished that Ended up being a year-long project. We're celebrating with this episode. And so now here's our opportunity to talk about Disney animated movies. We're going to count down our 12 favorites. Shanna, do you have any thoughts about this list or this subject in general? I was very nervous to make this list because I feel like there's a lot of pressure to do this. The thing is, every 10 years or so, you have 10 new movies to consider for your list. And so it was very difficult to decide what I was going to have and what wasn't going to make it. It looks like I've got somewhat of variety. Of course, I didn't want to end up with all princess movies or all musical movies. So I tried to mm. vary it up somewhat. And so we'll see how that goes. Yes, that is a good point. The, you know, Disney animated movies are best known for their animated musicals, but there are some that are not musicals. Bambi is actually one of them, as a matter of fact. For myself... It's also one of the first and one of maybe two films that feature a prince. Yes, that's true. For myself, I made out my list... And it just so happened that there's only one decade not represented on my list. I did not mean this for this to happen. I, I swear it. But I have two, uh, two movies from five decades in the, oh God, what is it? 60, 80 year history of, of animated films. 
only one did not make my list. So I thought that was very interesting. Mm. So I have quite a range mm-hmm. on my list. Anything else you want to add before you begin? I'm very excited that everything that is available to stream. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the beauty of Disney+. Plus. All right, Shanna, why don't you get us started with your 12th favorite Disney animated movie. Oh, by the way, in case people don't know, to clarify, Disney has released a rash of films on video, on streaming, on cable, whatever. We're only talking about theatrically released films, as per usual with film faves. So what's your 12th favorite Disney animated movie? My 12th favorite is The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh from 1977. This is only an hour 15 long movie, so it's one of those nice ones that's just like a little break, you know? Mm. If you want to have something while you you eat dinner or something like that. In this collection of animated shorts based on the stories and characters of A.A. Milne, Winnie the Pooh, the honey-loving teddy bear, embarks on some eccentric adventures. I just, I love Winnie the Pooh. I love Tigger. I love Piglet. Uh, Rabbit is just so easily annoyed by anything and everything Pooh does. (laughs) I think sometimes... I'm Rabbit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and sometimes I'm Piglet. So I, I find it all very relatable. So they have the balloon, the red balloon, so that Winnie the Pooh can get up to the honey nest, uh, the bee's nest to get the honey in this one. And then the other one is Winnie the Pooh is uh, hungry for honey, and he goes to Rabbit's house, and he eats too much. You know, it's totally relatable. His tummy's a little on the full side. Maybe it's not gluten-free honey. I don't know. <laughs> and so he's a little, you know, swollen and he can't get out of Rabbit's rabbit's house. So I I love the stories in there. I think it's great. Tigger, Tigger is Tigger in this. And I love Winnie the Pooh so much I have the Lego kit. So um, that is the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. But honestly, any of the Winnie the Pooh movies are great. That is one of, by my count, eight anthology films in the history of Disney. I wonder if that is your favorite anthology film in Disney's history. You want to break up the category some more, do you? (laughs) (laughs) My 12th favorite Disney animated movie is from the year 1942. It is Bambi, as we just Mm, discussed. mm Mm-hmm. Not a lot more I can say because I think I kind of expressed what was so great about this film and what I enjoy about it. I think I think also Flower and Thumper are two things we didn't really talk about a yeah. lot, but I think Flower is absolutely adorable. A little a little <laughs> fay, but totally adorable. And Thumper is just really funny and when he's getting not scolded, but when his mom's there and you know, his mom says and he's like what you know it's he's so cute what yeah he's so adorable so uh, as are many of the uh characters in bambi and it's just a a wonderfully crafted film so that's my 12th favorite disney film my number 11 is the great mouse detective Basil I'm, of Baker Street. I'm surprised it's this low on your list. Well, it's it's a very difficult list. Okay. It's from 1986. Basil, the rodent Sherlock Holmes equivalent, investigates the kidnapping of a toy maker and uncovers its link to his arch 
enemy, Professor Rattican. So I am a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes. Not enough to read books, but... Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say that's a huge well, fan then. <laughs> I will watch whatever has come out. Uh, My favorite Sherlock thing being Sherlock. And I was then Basil say, of Baker Street. I so. was going to say, as long as Bandit Cumberbatch is in it, yes. you will watch anything oh, of Sherlock. <laughs> well, also Basil. And I had no idea, but this is based on a series of books, and I managed to get one of the books out of the library. And it's really good. I only got to read the first chapter, but I will probably start reading the rest of the series. To clarify, you're not talking about the Sherlock Holmes books. You're talking about... No, I'm talking about uh, the Great Mouse Detective books. Yeah. yeah, I love this take on Sherlock. Sherlock's pretty popular in South Africa when I was growing up because, you know, there, there was this strong British influence. So, of course, that came through. And when we did visit London when I was younger, we went past the the apartment that Sherlock was based on. And that was very exciting. And everybody was like, ooh. Sure, yeah. So um, I love this one. I think it's fun. I, I love how annoyed Basil is and how he just wants to do his work. And, hmm. you know, what's the equivalent of Watson is there. Dawson. Um, his friend Dawson is there to help him. I love it. Nice. My 11th favorite Disney animated movie is from 2016. It is Zootopia. Ooh. I thought that Zootopia is one of the best films to come out from the 2010s. I thought it was very impressive of Disney to create a film that is socially conscious in a decade that is so full of social injustice to talk about prejudice to talk about you know all these different racial divides essentially and put it through the lens of an animal world was brilliant and fantastic also i think judy hops is one of the greatest characters in disney canon I just love her determination. You know, she has this aspiration to become Zootopia's first bunny cop. Apparently, that's just not a thing rabbits do. And she really sets out to prove herself absolutely capable as being more than me, uh, just a meter maid. I just think she's really awesome, a character maybe slightly underrated, actually. I'm not seeing a lot of Judy Hopps mm. stuff out there as opposed to Elsa, let's say. I mean, it's great. Elsa's relatable in some aspects, but, you know, Hopps is definitely a lot of girls out there. Yeah, she's. A, I think she's a better role model, you could see, but a, a, a much well-rounded character. And, and, of course, I love jason bateman's character and there's a lot of great world building and funny characters and in, in zootopia so uh, it is my 11th favorite disney animated movie my number 10 is more recent from 2014 it is big hero 6 a special bond develops between a robot baymax and prodigy hero Hama hamada uh, who together team up with a group of friends to form a band of high-tech heroes. Their mission is is very particular. It's a film that deals with revenge and forgiveness and seeing the bigger picture. And it has a really great group of heroes that are all representing basically the STEM the STEAM world. You know, there <laughs> is a character that represents the art side of things, comic oh, really? books specifically. Oh, kind of. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
All right, fair enough. They fulfill the Steam requirements. Fair enough. Um, I love these characters. I love when Baymax's battery, he's battery operated. I love when his battery starts to go down and he starts speaking like a drunk person. Yes. And I just think that that's hilarious. I think it's also a really great film dealing with grief. Yes. And and that doesn't get talked about a lot. And, and also, you know, being of this mindset of I want revenge this way. I was like, you don't have to have revenge that way. And having friends that'll point that out. Yes. Uh, it's a great film about friendship, great film about uh, mourning. It's really wonderful. So that's, ba- that's Big Hero 6. Almost made my list. I actually thought it was on my list. I love Big Hero 6. It mm. is fantastic, great, diverse characters. And a great depiction of, uh, of, of mourning, right? Of grief. Yeah. And, and it's just a fantastic film and also fun, too. I love that pick. My 10th favorite, however, is from the year 1941. We're bouncing back in time again. It is Dumbo, the Dumbo. fourth animated film ever in Disney canon. I've always loved this film. It's very simple. It's just over an hour long. It's actually quite a bit of a masterpiece of what what can be done with very little, doing very little, short amount of time. We don't have to pad the timing in any way. It's a very lean film. And uh, it's a a film about friendship. It's a, a film about believing in yourself. And it's also a film about... Um, mothers and their children and i find it to have some of the best sequences in all of disney canon one of which especially being the baby mind sequence uh, i don't know is i guess dumbo is technically a musical because you have one or two sequences of characters actually singing but the baby mind sequence is just so heartbreaking and simply animated and beautiful of a mother reaching for her son. They are separated because she has been uh, locked away as being misconstrued as a dangerous animal. It's absolutely wonderful. Yes, there are some of the time racial stereotypes with the crows in the final act. Say what you will about that, I get it, but the rest of the film is just some of the greatest animation that has ever been produced and and animated storytelling that's ever been produced. So that's Dumbo, 1941, my 10th favorite Disney animated film. I couldn't look at you while you were talking about that film because I just think about that film and I want to cry. So the next one I have is number nine, Little Mermaid. From 1989. I had no idea that this came out in 89 because I believe South Africa had apartheid until 94 or 93, around about there. And there were restrictions on what could come in to the country. So when I was maybe eight uh, or seven, which is, you know, a little after apartheid, all of a sudden in the theater, you could watch The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and like the Lion King or something. So whatever age, okay. so whatever age that is. Yeah. yeah, like all of a sudden there were three films that you could go to. Okay. And it was very exciting. For those who don't know, this is about a mermaid princess making a bargain with Ursula, the sea witch. 
slash octopus to become human and win her prince's love. And obviously it has impossible conditions attached to it. And so it's how is she going to deal with these issues? There's great music in here by, I believe, Alan Menken. Is that right? I believe it was Tim Rice and Alan Menken, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I, I love the music in this film. The, if you go to Disneyland, to the California Adventure of Things, you will see a magnificent uh, display of Under the Sea and just the whole Little Mermaid uh, set up. This movie does get a little ridiculous as you get older, where she's like, I love him. I'm 16. I was like, no, you you don't love him. It might have been love at first sight and and all that jazz. But like in the real scope of things, it's like you're 16. No, shut up. Go to your room. So it's interesting how this movie plays. Yes, it is Alan Menken. Okay. uh, But the other one, the collaborator is Howard Ashman. I, I apologize. Okay. All right. So my next favorite is from 1973. It is Robin Hood, easily my favorite from the 70s. Robin Hood and Little John. Right. So you think of Udalani, which I totally get, right? I think I just thought of the trumpeting sounds, right? Right. I just I just think this movie has a spark to it that most of the 70s movies just did not have. It's a little shaggy, you know, a little rough around the edges, but it has so many wonderful characters, wonderful voice actors in it, wonderful characterizations. Prince John and Sir Hiss are just absolutely hilarious and fantastic. My favorite duo, bad guy and sidekick, is their relationship, for sure. No kidding. It's just... I just, I feel for his. He's trying to give good advice. (laughs) Prince John isn't listening. (laughs) So I just, I really feel for him. Yeah. Yeah. So I I love this. It it actually takes elements of the 1950s live action Disney movie, Robin Hood and His Merry Men, and elements of the 1937 Adventures of Robin Hood to to retell the legend of Robin Hood. And it does so in a way that just absolutely captured a whole generation uh, prior to the 1991 Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. So anyway, I I love it. I I think it's fun. It's Robin Hood from 1973. It's my ninth favorite Disney animated movie. My next one is Beauty and the Beast from 1991. Uh, That is also my eighth favorite Disney animated movie. Awesome. Well, you're so good at describing what the film is about do you want to lead it well it's it's based on the french tale beauty and the beast and it is about a french townswoman who goes to save her father from capture of a ca- in a castle by a beast and what happens when word of this beast gets out this beast of course is actually a prince who is cursed and his castle is cursed all of his servants have been turned into objects that i was going to say inanimate objects but they're very they're very animated (laughs) yes so yes and is of course one of disney's most successful animated musicals was nominated for best picture i have to say watching the clock beat up the candlestick and vice versa is hilarious to me how they slap each other Mm -hmm. it's very funny lumiere and cogsworth yes (laughs) 
I love this film. I used to watch this on repeat. I, I used to watch Sleeping Beauty and then Beauty and the Beast became available on VHS. So it kind of switched places. Mm. I, I love Belle. I think she's one of my favorite characters in the Disney world. Mm. You know, she's one of the first that wants to read and wants to learn and wants to put that first you know there's like all of a sudden there's this handsome guy gaston there and she's like bitch please so i have books um so i really like that about her and i highly recommend like if beauty and the beast the disney one is coming on broadway to your city like go and watch it Mm. if you like beauty and the beast you probably know the the music book by heart and watching Lumiere get ready to sing Be Our Guest, mm. he teases the audiences ah. before starting the song. Mm. And it is the most wonderful experience. So very consistent when they have the material. Very cool. Yeah, no, this is just a beautiful film. A lot of people talk about the theme song Beauty and the Beast. A lot of people talk about yeah. uh, Be Our Guest. Yes. A lot of people talk about Gaston. For me, my my favorite piece probably from that is something there. I've always Aww. been endeared and loved this montage that that has this these two uh, eventually start to see something more and develop a relationship. I've always loved that song. There, there's something there that wasn't there before. I love that one so much. I actually sometimes get moved by that piece Mm. but i especially love the song bell that opens it is one of the greatest musical opening numbers in history hands down it's extraordinarily animated like the people who directed this knows musicals and it's just it's just awesome so i love that so um yeah beauty and beast and also i recommend if you are a fan of this movie Check out the 1940s French film, too, which this film heavily borrows from. Not the musical part, but yes. Right. <laughs> All right, Shanna, what is your seventh favorite animated Disney movie? Number seven is a special one. It's from 2021, and it grows on me. It gets better with every viewing. The first viewing, I was like, well, this is nice. Second viewing, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really good. Third viewing, I'm like, oh, my God, this is awesome. It just gets better and better. There's always something to mine from it. It is Encanto. Mirabelle, a Colombian woman who has to bring her family together, you know, find her power when she doesn't have basically a superpower. Everyone else in her family has a magical gift and she does not. So she makes the best of it by weaving her family together and making sure everyone's okay. Uh, The music is very different to what we've seen before. Uh, It's Lin-Manuel Miranda and it's not Moana Lin-Manuel Miranda where Moana is kind of clear and it's not too complicated. This is very rich Hmm. and full of different things. I found that listening to the soundtrack separately and then going back and watching Encanto to be very helpful. There is so much happening in this film. It's beautiful. I think that we're starting the decade off really well with this film Hmm. um, and Raya, so I can't wait to see what's next. Excellent. My seventh favorite goes back to 1953. I think I might have one other 50s movie in the list. I could be wrong. Uh, But this one is Peter Pan. Peter Pan is an iconic 
Disney animated film. And I realized revisiting it last year how much I absolutely love the movie. Mm. Yes, there is a sequence that is, uh, uh, (laughs) you know, problematic to say the least. I, you know, get that. But again, just like Dumbo, like the 90% of the movie is spectacular. And I would argue, first of all, I'd argue that Tinkerbell's a bitch. But I would also argue <laughs> that Captain Hook is one of the best villains in Disney canon and probably the first fully realized villain. He's so whiny and beats himself up and tries to be powerful. It's really funny. He's all, he's 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 a character that is that's comical first mm-hmm. of all, right? But he has a what do you call uh he has a, a an objective mm. right a very clear objective and he's also one of the few that doesn't die that doesn't die on screen <laughs> yeah you know? i guess so but his relationship with the crocodile it, you know it, it's just it's just so amusing his sidekick character Smee and that relationship is, is so much fun. The music in this movie, before I move on, the music in this film, oh my God, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly, and and uh, uh, follow the leader. Several other songs are just extraordinary stuff. So I love Peter Pan from 1953. It's my seventh favorite Disney animated film. Shannon, we are at the halfway mark. What is your sixth favorite Disney animated film? My number six is The Lion King from 1994. How could it not be on my list? I Okay, so Little Mermaid and Lion King and Great Mouse Detective are in the bottom half of your six, more or less. I'm very curious about the top half. But you may have forgotten about the third, like my number three. You might not be considering it. Okay, yeah. all right, go ahead. Okay, so this is... Oh. This is a really great film, you know, for South Africans. Uh, it's amazing. It's very exciting. Yes, it's not happening in South Africa, but it it feels like the continent is represented, and that's very exciting. We've got uh, a story happening between lions that are royalty. What is this? It's like the Shakespeare play Hamlet. Hamlet. Yeah, loosely um, based on Hamlet. Yeah, and it's what an interesting way to get that story across to young viewers and viewers that aren't really interested in Shakespeare. I think this has an awesome songbook. I love I uh, Just Can't Wait to Be King and Be Prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, great villain song. And I, I love the sidekicks Timon and Pumbaa with mm-hmm. Hakuna Matata. Mm. I mean, when this movie came out, a lot of South Africans were very excited. They went and renamed their boats Hakuna Matata and like Hakuna Matata the second and blah, blah, blah. So it really had a huge impact on me as a kid and being in South Africa. I just can't wait to be keen. Perhaps the only male I want song. Oh, it's our Disney second Prince film. Canon. My sixth favorite Disney animated movie is from 1951. I've had two 40s movies. This is my second 50s movie. It is Alice in Wonderland. Oh. I love the Disney animated Alice in Wonderland. 
I've all, I, I just think it's like one of the most creative of the classic library that, that occurred in Walt's lifetime. It's somewhat trippy. A lot of the counterculture in the 60s kind of latched on to this movie, too, you know, retroactively. It, it has some weird-ass shit. It has some weird-ass imagery. Also, interestingly enough, it's, like, quote-unquote main villain, the Queen of Hearts, isn't until, like, the last 15, 20 minutes of the movie. So it's, 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 it's one of those movies that doesn't have an actual antagonist in, in the traditional sense. It's just about this one girl's journey down the rabbit hole and all the weird characters and experiences she goes through in wonderland and i i just i know it's a slightly episodic but the cheshire cat is an iconic character a big part of my childhood growing up of course my mom loved the cheshire cat and there's uh so many others the mad hatter and the the march hare all of them uh just just absolutely like unforgettable characters and they're all in this film from 1951, Alice in Wonderland. So it looks like I had a bit of a mix-up here on my list. It looks like I missed a movie, so I'm just going to go ahead and throw Aladdin in there. I think um, Aladdin would probably go more like to number nine. Mm. So it would go Aladdin, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, etc. But we're just going to go ahead and talk about it because we're not going to re-record this. Thank you <laughs> so much. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Yeah. So we've got a kind-hearted street urchin and a power-hungry grand vizier try vie for the magic lamp and, which has the power to grant your deepest wishes. There is no mention of Jasmine in here. That's interesting. There's also... They're trying to vie for the princess's heart, too. And yeah, kind of, I guess. Somewhat. I don't know that Jafar is that concerned about her heart. <laughs> I don't think he wants the heart. I think he wants the title. Yeah. So it's going to be Aladdin. This has quite the variety of characters. It's very busy. We've got Aladdin, the main character. They refer to as a street urchin. And then we've got Jasmine as the princess, who's 15 or 16, who needs to be married off, as are the laws in their country or their kingdom. Mm -hmm. And the father is trying very hard to be supportive, but also trying to follow the laws that he's, you know, Mm -hmm. been part of for a very long time. And then we have Jafar and Iago, one of, the really cool villain sidekick Mm. team-ups are trying to get a magical lamp uh, to become sultan. Mm. And then we have the genie and carpet and a boo-boo. What's his name? Abu. 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 Prince Abu. So Mm. uh, what's really great about this film is the songbook, Prince Ali, uh, Never Had a Friend Like Me, performed by Robin Williams as the genie. It's just nothing can replace him. It's just he does a wonderful performance. And I was lucky enough to go with my host family to Disneyland. They took me. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't have to do anything. I just had to show up. It was wonderful. And they had a live action sort of mini play of Mm. Aladdin Mm. and having someone try to fit those shoes of genie Mm. is very difficult Mm. when the original was Robin Williams, Mm. but he did. Okay. He's fine. (laughs) 
<laughs> but that big presence, whenever you, you see Jeannie come out of the lamp, stretch his chest out, and you just think Robin Williams, you know? Mm. Very cool. Yeah, as Simpsons' Dan Castellana knows all too well, it's very hard to fill those shoes. Okay, so my fifth favorite Disney movie is a childhood favorite from 1988. I think one of two, one of two 80s films on my list. It is Oliver and Company. Yay! I think I might be one of Oliver and Company's only fans. I don't know. It's like <laughs> one of the least talked about Disney animated movies, but I think this was one of the first of my cognitive years that I saw in the theater and I remember it seeming like it took forever <laughs> for it to come out in video because I remember walking out of that theater we might have seen it at the Capitol Mall theater at that time and thinking oh I want to get that when it comes out on VHS mm. and it seemed like it took forever like years for it to come out <laughs> unfortunately thinking oh it'll be in six months anyway I, I even had the LP, the actual vinyl record soundtrack of this, and played it a lot in my bedroom. This was the movie that was loosely based on Oliver Twist, given in a, a city update, focused on animal characters, a kitten being Oliver, and then you have Dodger being played by a dog and, and just a pack of other dogs. Uh, love the characters, love the cast. Billy Joel starred, and you had, I think, one of the Pointer Sisters, Cheech Marin, and several others. Dom DeLuise played the human friend, Fagin. And you had Robert Loggia playing Sykes, the villain of the film. But I, I loved it. I love the songs in it. In Good Company is is just, I, I love In Good Company. It's so sweet mm. but i also love huey lewis's oh, shoot something like welcome to new york city i can't remember the name exactly and and billy joel's song why should i worry there's a little i, I love it it uses so pop songs i i i love i still love them i i understand today like how it has some of a, a little bit of a shaggy aesthetic to it but it's also not any shaggier than like 101 dalmatians was so I don't mind it at all. So that's Oliver and Company uh, from 1988. It's my fifth favorite Disney animated movie. Shanna, what is your fourth <laughs> favorite? Yes, my fourth favorite is Zootopia. I love this film. You've explained a bit about it, but I just, I love the characters. Every single character in this film, I love. We've got someone being a godfather. We've got someone being mayor we, we've got all these different characters voiced by wonderful actors Idris Alber, Jenny Slate, Bonnie Hunt, J.K. Simmons, Alan Tudyk, Octavia Spencer you can hear a mile away, Shakira I, it just it goes on and on and on and it, each character is so special and so fun if you look at depending on what poster you look at there's one Zootopia poster that's just chock full of different animals, different characters on the sidewalk. And that is what it's like watching this film. And it's so clever how they've made Tundra Town and the Rainforest District. Yeah. And it's it's so clever. I wish uh, that we could see more of this world. The partnership between Hops 
and Nick the fox is you wouldn't expect them to have a relationship but they do and it works so well and they play off each other so well and they are able to call each other on their nonsense and think about it and come back to the table and talk again. I really love these characters so much. I wish there were more plushy toys of these characters. I don't know why they didn't coin in on that. All right. Third favorite animated, or no, fourth favorite for me, I should say, animated film is Moana from 2016. Uh, I think the second film from the tw- uh, 2010s on my list. Uh, this film is extraordinary. The music is extraordinary. The characters, extraordinary. The animation, I love it. This is peak Disney in 2010s. There was a wonderful one-two punch in 2016 with Zootopia, then Moana. And Moana is like the studio getting back to the bar that had been set. By past animated musicals like in the 90s, like Little Mermaid, like Aladdin and Lion King, like even their classic years with Pinocchio and and so on and so forth. I think having Lin-Manuel Miranda hired to work with Disney really brought new life to the studio uh, in this genre of of its work and also the whole the atmosphere of polynesia and everything is just fantastic there is not anything i could really say in moana that uh, i don't love about it it's a fantastic film and one of the best in its history so that is my fourth favorite disney animated movie my number three is fantasia Whoa, really? Did you forget about that one? Because I, I thought maybe you'd forget about that one. I didn't forget about it. Oh, okay. But I didn't think about it as a possibility for your list. And Fantasia, not Fantasia 2000. Fantasia from 1940. Wow. Yeah, two hours, five minutes long. Wow. Uh, this is a collection of animated interpretations of great works of Western classical music, ranging from abstract to depictions of mythology and fantasy. There's prehistoric segments, supernatural, and uh, sacred segments. I absolutely love this. I would watch this over and over again. I don't know at what age we got the VHS to this, but uh, when it did come home with us, I would watch it over and over again. I was always into the Tchaikovsky segment because it kind of dealt with seasons and seeds and nature and a little bit of fairies. So Mm. that was always Mm -hmm. lovely. Mm -hmm. And then I was always scared of the prehistoric one. I forget which musical piece that was, but it was always scary to me because it was the death of this entire species. Mm. So... Fantasia 2000 almost made my list. I love that one too. Uh, I much prefer that one. A much leaner 70, 75 minutes over the 125 minutes of the original. I wish that they would do another one. I love that they're taking these wonderful musical pieces and creating little stories out of them. Yes, I share in that wish, honestly. But unfortunately, looking at their slate ahead, it doesn't look like they have any plans to have another Fantasia in the near future, which is a shame, honestly. So my third favorite Disney animated movie is 
1967's The Jungle Book. Hmm. The last film officially produced in Walt Disney's lifetime. I think it released shortly after his death. Uh, but it was the last one I believe that he gave the okay to and green light and was actually oh, actually worked on. I've always loved The Jungle Book. I, I watch it even today and I pretty much love just about every frame of this film. And I, I love the characters in it. I, I love the song book to it, the bare necessities. I want to be like you. Mm. Uh, I love, I actually quote this sometimes the <laughs> vultures in the third act who were, when we're introduced to them, they're like, I don't know what, what you want to do. <laughs> I don't know what you want to do. That drives me fucking crazy when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> now don't start that again. I love them. Those vultures in Robin Hood also that are guards that I, I love as well. But, yes. Yes, I do love those. But these are great. Shere Khan mm-hmm. and and Ka also. But Shere Khan is just wonderful. One of the best villains in Disney history voiced beautifully with that velvet voice that he has George Sanders mm. I love I love the voice cast Phil Harris Sebastian Cabot Louis Prima as King Louis you have Pat J Pat O'Malley who was a regular Sterling Holloway who was a regular Verna Felton who was a regular it's just and Sherman Brothers did uh, did five of the songs. It's just awesome. I love I love the Jungle Book so much. So it's my third favorite Disney animated movie. What is your second favorite Disney animated movie, Shanna? My second favorite is Moana. You know, I I watch this film over and over again, and I'm like, man, this is so good. It's honoring our legacy of our family lines, our ancestors. It's Mm -hmm. uh, healing things from one generation to another and bringing things together. I I love that it's not a traditional villain, but you might think it's a villain. And there are villains in the story, but they're not like Scar and they're not like Jafar and they're not like Ursula uh, or Maleficent. And so it's and it's very complicated. It's a gray matter. Yes. And there's opportunity for redemption and forgiveness and renewal. Mm -hmm. So I, I just love it. I love the songbook by... Lin-Manuel Miranda. I, I didn't know who he was until this movie. Same. So I, it was Even a at the great, time, I didn't know who he was. It yes. was a great introduction. Mm-hmm. All I know. But what a, a great Polynesian story. I had visited the Burke Museum, and they have a great exhibit on the destruction of Polynesian islands during the atomic blast tests. And I think that there could be some correlation linked uh, between that and this. Um, You know, probably not necessarily, but a little bit, a little bit. It's a bit of a stretch, but I'll, I'll, I'll say that and I'll put that out there and people can tell me how wrong I am and that's okay. Uh, If they go look at the islands that got destroyed, that that's, I achieved my goal. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. You know, it's a little tough when you're come, talking about your your two favorite Disney animated movies and the 60 film catalog. 
it can be tough to actually feel like you landed on the right ones. And for me, we're we're getting into 100 favorite movies of all time territory. And so these two did did land on that list. The first one is from 1994. It is The Lion King, which I absolutely adore and I actually think is is one of the greatest animated films ever crafted. It's up there with some of the best of the classic era Disney animated movies, you know, the the best of those, you know, the Pinocchios and the the Bambis and and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, a movie that hasn't even come up at all in this conversation yet. Not for me. <laughs> the Lion King, you, you talked a lot about it. I agree with you on this. The songbook is a, one of the greatest songbooks in Disney canon. It's just so great. One of the best villains in Disney canon, best sidekicks in Disney canon. One of the most stirring uh, movies with some great animated sequences. The opening title sequence, it's not even, a, it's a pre-title sequence, is, it, it's just, on film, at the, or on, in the theater, it was just extraordinary. I mean, you were witnessing an event with when, mm-hmm. once that happened. It was just a, a, a great. So, yes, The Lion King from 1994, my second favorite Disney animated movie. Shanna, what could possibly be your absolute favorite Disney animated movie? My number one, how could it not be, is, of course, from 1955, five, my favorite number, uh, (laughs) Lady and the Tramp. How could this not be on our list? Our dog is named Lady Leia. You know, because of this film and because of our love of Star Wars, I just... I absolutely love this film. Again, it's one of those that I go back to and then I have different interpretations or different things to think about with what's happening in the story. It's so wonderful seeing a film just about dogs (laughs) and how wonderful and varied they can be in personalities and attitudes. It's not just dealing with dogs that, uh, that have homes and are loved by people. It's also looking at dogs that don't have a home but are okay with that choice and dogs that are rabid Uh, and then dogs that are in the pound which will totally make you cry if you're a dog lover Mm. and it's you know we were talking about like non-musical movies and at first I thought that filled the category but it does not because there is this we are Siamese right Mm -hmm. by the cats and there is He's a Tramp, mm-hmm. as well as, what was the other one? I'm trying the to Lullaby uh, oh. by the Mother. No, no, no. Well, Bella Notte, the most oh, famous then, one. Bella Notte. Yes, yes. Famous love song. That's a good love song. There you go. <laughs> In Disney history. Somehow did not make your love story list last in the last episode. It just fell out, and I knew we were doing this list, so I figured that's okay. I'll put it over here as number one. Hmm. I love Lady in this movie. There are so many things that I quote from this film. I love the relationship that develops between Lady and Tramp. Tramp, you know, kind of opens her eyes to a different world. It's kind of, um, 
like Titanic. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, come check out my my end of the train track. Um, uh, yes, you it, know, it's in that very aspect. Similar. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I I love the relationship that Lady has with her family and with her friends Jock and Trusty. Uh, Jacques and Trusty. I think that Jacques is very funnily animated. You will most likely come across a dog, a small dog like that in your life. And it's just lovely. Whenever Lady is, our Lady is sniffing the ground like she did today on a walk, I'm like, are you having a trusty moment? Yeah. So it's, it's a, a movie that's very near and dear to my heart. Very cool. Very cool. My, do you want to guess, try guessing my favorite Disney animated movie? feel like i'm gonna fail because <laughs> you've mentioned jungle book uh-huh you haven't have you mentioned little mermaid i have not okay have you mentioned aladdin i have not okay well i'll just in the interest of saving time i'll just say little mermaid you are correct oh my gosh i'm so right yes <laughs> and you know it's one of those things where i'm like huh is that really that's really surprising but i, I think for a lot of reasons it is i think one of them is, you know, I, I, we t- I talked about it in my favorite love stories list in the last episode. And I, I think a lot of it is not only is it is it funny with some of the, the stuff that happens with Sebastian, but I think it's also absolutely stirring and gorgeous. And I think Ursula is one of the best Disney animated villains and I think she has one of the best villain songs in Disney history. I'm not sure if there are many before. I know there was Radigan's song, but I'm not sure if there was many before Ursula's Poor Unfortunate Souls, but it definitely captures a style that is absolutely it, it, it makes that villain a villain you love. You know, maybe you love to hate her, but you, you love her regardless. And and her, char- her character design is fantastic. Uh, the Under the Sea sequence is just absolutely pure joy. And I, there's uh, just so much about the film that I, I love. And so, yeah, I think by a small margin... The Little Mermaid becomes my favorite Disney animated film. That's wonderful because you always bring it back in our discussions. You always bring it back to, well, is the songbook as good as The Little Mermaid? Well, or The Lion King, mm. honestly. So the, those are our favorite Disney animated movies. Now, this is we're going to do something a little bit different here because I kind of thought, well, when are we going to have an opportunity to talk about Disney films again? So what we're going to do is we're also going to break down certain categories that are and our favorites of certain categories of Disney lore, of Disney canon, of, of what you expect from a Disney movie and go from here. So first off, Shanna, why don't you share with us your favorite Disney princess in all of the This is one of the things that Disney animated movies are known for best is the Disney princess what is your favorite? Who is your favorite? Yeah, I mean, Disney princesses, they churn them out really fast. And at in Wreck-It Ralph, there's a scene where all the princesses are together. Yeah. And it's, it's very cool. Yeah. I would have to say my favorite princess is different from when I was a kid. 
It's Moana. Okay. Mm-hmm. How about you? It is Belle. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's absolutely Belle because yeah. of the reasons that you talked about when you were talking mm-hmm. about Belle. Uh, she's one of the first that has a strong personality. She's not going to go for the first guy who comes <laughs> along. She's well-read. She's intelligent. I thought, I hate, I hate, hate, hate the live-action Beauty and the Beast remake, but I do think that Emma Watson perfectly exemplified everything that Belle is. Yeah, in real life, really. Right. And so. Yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yes, I love that, that character, Belle. So she's my favorite. I love Moana because she has this desire to be a voyager. She has this desire to be on the water and explore and expand her world. Mm. But she also has a desire to save her family and it kind of syncs up and it's it's beyond just saving her family. It's about saving her her entire culture really. Mm. And I just I I love her determination. Even when Maui is giving her a hard time, she keeps going. Even when you know, they're faced with uh, two or three villains. They get through it, and yeah. she figures things out pretty fast. So that's why I love her. Fantastic. On the flip side, who is your favorite Disney villain? So this is from the same movie of my favorite princess when I was growing up. So the villain stuck. It is Maleficent. No kidding. I I love her because she's so relatable. She's got this company. She's got this mission. She's got employees that are stupid and not, don't listen to her and don't think for themselves. Um, you know, there's a scene where she she's like, it's been 15 years and not a sign of her. And she couldn't have vanished into thin air. And I haven't seen the movie in like a year. Yeah. And I still remember that line. And the gargoyle says, oh, we searched every cradle. Check the forest, the mountain, and every cradle. And she's like, the, the look on her face is incredibly relatable because whether you've got employees or whether you've got family members that you asked to do something, her face of sheer and absolute disappointment, anger, and annoyance is is just so perfect. And I love it. I, I also love her style. I love that. I, I love her, her live action film because it kind of, it took the live action concept and kind of explored what it could be, what it could mean. Hmm. And I'm not saying that that's the reason that Maleficent is my favorite, but definitely from, from Sleeping Beauty, I just, I think she's relatable. And I like that she can turn into a dragon and breathe very scary color symbolism, green fire. <laughs> so Total badass, great character design. I, I don't blame you whatsoever. She doesn't even need to sing to be as badass <laughs> as she is. Fair enough. Fair enough. For me, I think there's a handful of great villains. I think, and some of it's because of character design, some of it's because of what they do, some of it's because of personality. So I, I, I Captain Hook is up there, Hades is up there, Ursula, oh, Scar. But I might say that Shere Khan is my favorite. I uh, think, yeah. first of all, Shere Khan is f- forgotten. Mm-hmm. ultimately by culture but for being voiced by um george what was his name george henderson and george harrison um george sanderson he is got a wonderful voice presence he he is fantastic and there's something about him where he sounds intelligent but absolutely dangerous mm. 
And it's a dangerous intelligence. You do not want to piss him off. Mm. And also, his whole thing comes from hate, uh, hatred and fear of man, right? Totally legitimate, yeah. He gets this, this he, hear, he, he does hear tell that there is man in the jungle, and he wants to kill this boy. Before right? the boy has a chance to kill him. Right, exactly. Which, yeah, and man has a history of... of being not so nice and he also has a fear of fire and anyway so i love Shere khan i think he has some of the va- best characterizations and best voice work in history of, of of disney canon all right shanna let's move on to the favorite sidekick the sidekick character is uh, was a staple of the disney animated movie especially the musicals what who is your favorite sidekick you know, there's a variety out there. We've got Pascal from Tangled who doesn't speak, but it just uses motions and facial expressions to express himself. And like Mrs. Potts, we've got Clogsworth, Cogsworth. We've, uh-huh. You know, there's a variety out there. But mine is definitely a duo. And it is Timon and Pumbaa. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, what, what kind of sidekick friend, friends go and put themselves in danger with hyenas who haven't eaten in who knows how long, and they sing a song about bacon to help distract, and they raise a lion. Like, those are great sidekicks. Those are great friends. Mm. You know, you make a, a good point about how, like, a sidekick that puts themselves in danger for the hero, I'm not sure that very many... Not all of them can do that. I mean, Pascal can stick his tongue on someone, but that's and he'll do it if he right, needs to, right, but yeah. it's not effective. But not many do in a significant way. Mm. You know, maybe the little roly-poly in Raya and the Last Dragon kind of rolls mm. into once or twice as a little baby roly-poly in the beginning of the, the movie. Yes. But not <laughs> many do try to step step in there and I, I think Timon and Pumbaa was great and I did consider them for myself I landed on Baloo it's a good one Baloo the bear from Jungle Book I promise you this won't all be about Jungle Book yeah, for it's me it's starting to look like it <laughs> but you know when I, I consider the major ones Jiminy Cricket Timothy Mouse Thumper Little John Flounder Genie Timon and Pumbaa Tinkerbell uh, the one I, I, I find myself loving the most is Baloo the bear. Mm. He is very helpful. He's he's very like, he, he is the original Hakuna Matata, right? He, he's yeah. very carefree, right? Yeah. And he also puts himself in danger to save the boy, right? He grabs the tiger's tail um, to try to save, uh, or at least buy Mowgli some time. Uh, Mowgli, who uh, <laughs> foolishly is fearless against the tiger, by the way. That but, boy doesn't know what a tiger is, apparently. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, yeah, I love uh, uh, Baloo the Bear. Uh, next category, Shanna, what is your favorite villain sidekick? So we've gone to the hero and the villain. We've gone mm. to the, the hero sidekick. What is the favorite villain sidekick? There's a couple out there. We've got Flotsam and Jetsam for Ursula. We've got yeah. Yago for Jafar, who doesn't shut up. It's fantastically voiced. There's a lot. There's... There, there are plenty out there. Yeah. I have to say, though, my favorite, who I just feel for, <laughs> is Sir Hiss for uh. Prince John in Robin Hood. Yeah. 
I just, here's an assistant or executive manager, whatever, you know, assistant manager, trying to help you with everything. And you're not listening to him. <laughs> like, and he has these moments where he'll say, I told you so. I told you so. Yeah. And it varies from like personal behaviors, like grooming or something yeah. to like more like the bigger th- things on the grand scale. And so I just love him, how he's constantly trying to warn Prince John. And Prince John's just too bullheaded to listen to anyone, even his, his Sir Hiss. Mm-hmm. So, and I love his talking. I love... When he's like, did you see? Did you see? And his tongue, somehow he's talking and his tongue is out of his mouth yeah. and tickling Prince John's ear. Yeah, and it yeah. just, it gets quoted between me and my brother all the time. For me, there was no comparison. There was no one who came close. It was Iago from Aladdin. I, I think Gilbert Gottfried's voice performance in that is makes Iago one of the most memorable and funny and greatest villain sidekicks in Disney canon. Uh, there, there's just no one else that comes close uh, to him. I, I, I love Iago uh, compared to all other villain sidekicks. Okay, so Chanel, let's talk about music. All right. Now, you didn't want me to just do favorite song. You thought that would be too challenging. So we broke it up into two categories. Favorite I Wish song. So this is something that dates back all the way to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. The protagonist, usually a female, has a song expressing where she is expressing her desires in the story. And it came to be known as the I Wish song. What is your favorite of all of those in Disney canon? Mine is, I feel like it's a little bit of a cheat, but it's just the style of the movie. It is from Moana. It's I am Moana slash I, I know I know your name. So there's this different stretching out of her I want song huh. because she goes back and forth. Even though she wants to to be on the ocean, she's been staring at the ocean long yeah. as she can remember. And so she has this desire She and she goes through the spectrum of guilt about it happiness about it selfishness about it purpose you know about it and i really i think that that's just so lovely and full huh i always thought how far i'll go was her i want song but i'd have to re-listen to this song you're talking about i mean honestly they kind of all feel the same so Mm, i just whatever it's not a it's not a diss. <laughs> I just explained the spectrum of feelings that happen when you want something as a woman. Okay? It's a very complicated thing. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, for me it's part of your world from of the course. little mermaid. I I just find that to be one of the greatest sequences in Disney history and I, just because of the way it's animated and the way the song is composed. And Jody Benson's vocal performance is absolutely stirring. Love that film, that 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 song. Part of your world from Little Mermaid's my favorite. I want song. Shannon, what is your favorite villain song? Not every villain has a song, mm. but some stood out more than others. Well, what some, was yours? Some villains are not the whole picture, and and some villains are the whole picture in the film. Most of them are. It's really mm-hmm. more of a recent trend mm-hmm. that that's not the case. I have to say it was between two songs. It was very difficult to land on one, but it comes down to the Lion King 
scar uh, be prepared uh-huh. it's just it's so epic and he's got all his peop- his his hyenas in line and ready to go i love the use of the green whenever disney uses that particular tone of green yeah that hue of green it seems to be something bad's about to go down yeah. and there's usually a villain involved so you know when moana comes out and the gem the heart of tafidi is green it's it's almost a little Okay, it's a little different, so it's okay, but it feels a little close to home. I I think Scar is a really good villain, and I think his song is probably the best one. I would agree with you that Be Prepared may be the greatest villain song in Disney history. But I think I'm going to slightly favor Poor Unfortunate Souls as my favorite. Oh, really? villain mm. song it's it's yeah it's it in terms of my favorite it's close because i do think be prepared is great i think gaston and friends on the other side are are also among the 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 ones i like the most yeah. but but really like poor unfortunate souls the vocal performance in that song really sells it it's mm. i i don't remember the actress um uh, she's not one of those a-list actresses but um, her performance in that is just really is what just solidifies and sells that character. Pat Carroll, thank you. She's fantastic, and 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 it really kind of uh, establishes that character Ursula uh, so well as a great villain song should. So, yeah, that's my favorite villain song. Next category, Shanna. This is the last category, I do believe. So one of the things I tried doing over the past year was also watching, reviewing, and ranking every live-action film in Disney history. And I managed to get through 40 years before absolute burnout happened mm. because in once the 90s hit, Disney was just cranking out these live-action movies like you would not believe. I mean, I think it's like upwards of 80 movies in the 90s alone or something. It was ridiculous. And while I'm just talking theatrically released movies, but in honor of that, I thought we'd at least represent the live action movies by by noting what our favorite Disney live action movie is. What was your pick? This was hard to think about. I You had brought up the category and I said, well, what would I pick? What are my examples? <laughs> so you started naming off all the possibilities and a lot of them I was like absolutely not <laughs> and it, you know probably with good reason <laughs> yeah it kind of boiled down to two films it was Bedknobs and Broomsticks and Mary Poppins and I had to do a lot of thinking of well Bedknobs and Broomsticks we've got this woman who's independent and and embraces her life childless you uh-huh, know and uh-huh. uh, is is learning to be a witch and it's it's just awesome and it's symbolic and then we have Mary Poppins, who comes and helps repair families. Uh, that is her, her job, essentially, is to bring the parents and the kids together. And the songbook is freaking amazing. And mm. every time, it's another example. Every time I go back to this film, I see something different. And I cry about something different because, you know, the more life experience you, you gain, the more you read into this film. Mm. and you'll interpret it one way when you're a kid and you'll interpret it differently when you're a teen 
different when you become a nanny, different when you become a parent. It's really wonderful when they make a film that is able to stand the test of time, not just when it was made, but also the time that you go through, the age that you go through. So you landed on Mary Poppins. I did. Okay, uh, the same for me. Uh, It's just when you go through the actual context of the history of Disney live action movies, it becomes extremely clear how unparalleled that film was at the time and since the, there really wasn't any movie that came close to the magic and the, the perfection that was Mary Poppins. Uh, so that is by far, there are other live action movies I love in Disney canon. Not a lot, but there are. Mary Poppins, though, is the crown jewel of its history. And for a lot of the reasons that you just shared, its songbook it being among the greatest musical songbooks in film history. So, yes, Mary Poppins, mine as well. Hmm. So that about does it for this episode about Disney movies, especially Disney animated movies. What are your favorite Disney animated movies or favorites from all these categories that we shared with you? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Shanna, before we talk about the next episode of The Movie Lovers, tell everyone where they'll find you online. You can find me at this awesome website, Flickchart, as Spellbinding A. I really enjoyed going on there this episode for this episode because you get to see posters of the movie that you're ranking and it's posters from all around the world so sometimes you'll see something very odd but it'll make sense to that country which it was released in and it's just a wonderful experience and also a great way to find out how many movies have you watched your whole life then you can find me on instagram as shanna paxton photography Flickstar is a very fun activity. I'm on there as well at the Gibson 99. Go to thegibsonreview.com to read all of my Disney through the years articles. I appreciate you reading that project. It was a year-long endeavor. Uh, you can also follow on social media, the Gibson, uh, sorry, facebook.com slash the Gibson Review. And on Instagram, the Gibson 99, I do bracket polls there. We've done a few since the the past couple episodes uh, the most recent winners were your favorite 2021 movie ended up being dune by denis villeneuve and one thing i do every year is i take all of your number one favorites from all the different brackets and i put them up against each other so your favorite number one favorite 2021 edition was terminator judgment day which was voted in 2021 as your favorite sci-fi fantasy sequel so soon there will be your favorite love stories on there and your favorite disney animated movies go follow on instagram the gibson 99 to be part of the fun there next episode of the movie lovers we will be reviewing our first movie of the year uncharted based on the popular sony playstation video game franchise i know our son's looking forward to that film i don't know if either of us are looking forward to it i mean it already looks like it's a movie when you play the game 
Why? Right, yes. It's a long gestating project gone through very, quite a few different versions, all with Mark Wahlberg, however. (laughs) Oddly enough, still think the casting's questionable there. However, we will be reviewing and seeing if it surprises us. And our film phase will be forgotten movies our favorite forgotten movies movies that it seems like culture pop culture and society has kind of forgotten over time that will be an interesting conversation very different one i think talk about highlighting titles you may not have heard of before or seen that's a good one for that you can look for that episode on tuesday march first until then keep loving the movies this is jeff and shanna saying bye-bye